Welcome back, everybody. We're going to kick off August with a bang or a throw, and you'll know why we're, to we're talking about that in a second. Uh, on with me today is a very, very cool actor. Uh, he's also a writer, he's a producer, and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, black belt, uh, <laughs> Timothy Davis of Showtime's Billions. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, Alan. This is, uh, this is very exciting to do this virtually. Yeah, I, I I love that, and uh, you know, for, you guys don't know, but Tim Tim and I actually almost intercepted uh, in in Wisconsin, so we almost you know got to do this live, but it didn't work. So we're we're working on it, and uh, you know, once this whole you know um, unfortunate situation with COVID and what's happening in our country is over, we're hoping to start doing these uh, in person. But for now. You know, this is our setting and you have this two shot. I know you're sick of it, but that's that's the best we <laughs> can do at the moment. All right. Yeah. So Tim, um, I know you as Chef Ryan and other people know you as Chef Ryan <laughs> on Billion, which is my second favorite TV drama of all time. Only, I, your, I, huh? only your second? It's my second. It's my my the West Wing is my first. It's not gonna budge. The, that's that's the one. Billions is my second. Amazing, yeah. amazing favorite of mine too. So I can't fault you for that. Yeah, but Billions, uh, I love Billions, and uh, it's it's a show. You know, I don't have Showtime, and I literally got Showtime just so I can uh, just so I can watch Billions. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's it's that kind of a show for me. I think from an from a uh, from an acting perspective, it is so incredibly rich. The people that you get a chance to work with in your scenes, it's ridiculous. And we're going to dive into that a little bit later, but let's start somewhere else. Um, again, you know, I, I know you as Chef Ryan, uh, but I didn't know your whole backstory in your career. And as I started doing my prep, you know, it kind of blew my mind. And one of the things that I learned is that you studied and you spent a lot of time at the actor's studio. And yeah. my goodness, um, there were some, some of my guests were uh, way too kind to offer a compliment and say that, you know, they see some of James Lipton in me. Uh, I'm I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to uh, to uh, you know get to a point where I believe that myself. But you had a chance to really spend time with uh, with James and in the acting studio. So yeah, what drew you to the acting studio? Let's start there. Um, I think. Actor, excuse me, actor studio. No, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of my my early actor training and, and pursuit of actor training was very there, there wasn't a lot of uh thoughtful research put into it it was all very instinctive and reactive um uh and so i knew uh when i first got into acting i was i was in college and uh i knew i wasn't liking what i was gone to the college to study and fell into acting on a dare and sort of fell in love with it and uh ran through that whole program very quickly and uh, knew that um, I wanted to go to New York um, to act. But even that was very instinctual and just was coming from the idea that like, you know, it, it's the whole anxiety of influence thing, right? Where like your, your, your first, your first influence is sort of um, uh, you wind up emulating. And I just sort of knew that um, all of the acting I was interested in doing um, it seemed to keep leading back to this road of the actor's studio that I was, um, the actors, I was very interested in the material they were doing. I was interested in their style of acting. And I'm like, well then, well then that's just where I've got to go. Um, and I, 
I felt like I had, at the time, I felt like I had some level of, of talent, although that's sort of an issue that I, I never really address anymore. And uh, being a, a young dude probably overestim overestimated my level of talent. Um, but I also knew there was something missing in terms of my my training because I hadn't been doing it for very long. And, um, so uh, uh, I wound up almost on a whim auditioning for for uh, the actor Studio Drama School, and uh, didn't think I would get in, and hadn't really researched other graduate programs or anything, and just knew that the actor Studio is where I wanted to go. And auditioned, and I I remember doing my scene, and um, it was in the the Tisch Building on 12th Street in uh, in New York in Manhattan, and uh, I get done with the scene, and uh, Lipton comes down from the back row, um, and he comes in, he calls me to the, the front of the stage, and uh, very I'd never met him, uh, very serious, very somber, and he says, he has me kneel down on the stage because he's about you know shoulder height, you know the stage comes up to about his shoulders, and he goes. Are you ready to commit yourself for the next three years to intensive active training, actor training? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and so that was my, my first uh, uh, meeting with uh, with James Lipton. And, and so that's how I wound up in New York was I um, I knew I'd wanted to go. I didn't know how I would get there. I, and uh, I went with 600 bucks in my pocket and um, didn't know where I was going to live. And uh, but I, I just knew I wanted to be part of the actors, the actor studio. Um, and so I studied there, and uh, uh, when the program was over, um, and I graduated from the program, I, I wanted to audition for the studio itself, um, for the actor studio drama school, did so, uh, and was accepted, I was lucky enough to be accepted, and then spent a lot of time just in the library, in the basement, um, just training by myself, which I think had its, um, uh, its debits and its credits. <laughs> That's that's amazing. And uh, that, you know, that line that James used, you know, that's his line. That's what he's used uh, to to kind of welcome people and to uh, to see if this is what they want to do. A, so guy, yeah. yeah. At the time, I felt like he did it. And like, again, it was my first time in New York and it was a place yeah. that I had fantasized since I was very young. And so I do this scene had no and really, you know, I'd seen maybe. I'd seen maybe three plays in my life. All of them were, you know, college undergrad plays, which, you know, are of obvious of, of varying <laughs> quality. Um, so you don't have a lot of context. And I, I'd never met a man like, like, you know, James Lipton before. And so when he comes down to the stage and said that, you know, it felt very, very somber and very, and I think that's his intention, you know, for whatever interest that the school had in me, it was an expression of that. But I remember leaving going like, wow, I felt like we really, that was really a, a a unique moment of personal connection, and then I later found out that like basically that was his sign of like, hey, you're moving on to the next round or whatever. Because when I yeah. when I was accepted, I talked to like ten other actors and found out he said the same thing to them. I'm like, oh, this was just like this was bashing the bashing the admissions test. Okay, yeah. um, but I still felt pretty special about it. Yeah, it's it's a cool you know it's a cool line and uh, yeah I'm sure he was genuine in using it but it, it's it's a very cool thing I I I heard it before you know I've never studied there but I right. heard it before when he was uh, you know when he was talking about one of the guys that uh, you know I don't know if he was in your class or around that same time but a uh, fairly famous actor I think you know who I'm talking about 
and he had him on his program. And um, you know, the, he when he said that line, uh, the actor broke down and started crying. And then the same thing, same thing kind of happened when he had him on inside the actor's studio. So, um, yeah, I was, I was, I think two years behind Bradley, I think. Um, and what, what I mostly remember about, uh, uh, their class at our classes, we had this agreement that we were going to play all these sports against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and, our class felt very the guys in our class felt very sort of scrappy you know um we felt like a bunch of like scrappy dorky theater kids right and um bradley was sort of very emblematic of what it seemed that class of guys was they were all ridiculously talented and they all seemed incredibly handsome and they all seemed um uh you know i don't know if you've ever seen the movie meatballs but it felt very I much like yeah yeah, yeah. Like we were the Bill Murray camp and they were the, the yeah. Mohawk camp. And yeah. so we had this idea that we'd play them at sports and, and that we would, um, uh, um, in whatever sort of class rivalry we had, we uh, envisioned, we would beat them and they destroyed us and everything. I remember we, we played a game of football at Central Park and Bradley specifically intercepted me um, on maybe the worst pass I've ever thrown in my life. And then they beat us at basketball. And I think we stopped playing sports after that because they just kept beating us at everything. My goodness. I, I don't know if I should mention that, but I don't think you were, I mean, you weren't that dorky. You were, you were a co-captain of your high school football team and you competed in judo when you were at Iowa state. So I think you had, you had, you had some things to offer to the team. I, I think what I had to offer was, um, I think a desire to be good. Um, that it, and there's probably if there's a you know i don't know if there's any sort of you know clear narrative in anybody's life but if there's a narrative in in, in mine it's probably that at a um again i don't know if i have any innate abilities but i think a recognition of what greatness is and a, a desire to do that so i was a really small kid in in uh in high school um you know, I'm not a big guy now, but I was really small in high school. But I, I desire to be great, um, and wasn't. But I think just my my desire to want to be a part of that probably carried me um, uh, farther than my. I know it carried me farther than any sort of physical gifts were going to carry me. Um, and I was lucky with with judo. Um, my dad uh, was my dad was a coach. My dad coached um, football in in college and in high school, and uh. I remember being like seven or eight years old. We were in all the sports. We were in baseball. We're in basketball. We're in football. And I remember there was like a, there's like a, a, we grew up in Iowa. We moved from from Iowa to Massachusetts uh, or from Massachusetts to Iowa. I'm sorry. I got that backwards. And I, I just remember um, there being like a two month period, I think in the winter between when basketball ended and baseball would start. And I remember my dad coming home with like this little sheet from the YMCA. Um, <laughs> and and saying um uh, pick a sport you're not lying around the house all winter um and i just randomly picked judo which um wound up becoming a you know a, a lifelong love affair um so i just got lucky with that yeah that's very cool uh judo was my first martial art we'll get to martial arts a little bit later but judo was my first one and that's that's how i kind of got introduced to uh two things and you know, I, I was in awe. I was, you know, I was this, uh, you know, skinny, uh, nerdy kid. And then I got to throw people around. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, 
then I'm, I'm surprised, again, in Iowa, Iowa is famous uh, for, you know, for a lot of sports, obviously, but Iowa is, is a lot into wrestling. So yes. it's not judo necessarily. So I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you pick judo as opposed to, you know, Greco-Roman or any other type of wrestling. It's, it's so weird because when I look back on it, right, it, is that I was so, again, sort of this reactive ideas of what you wanted to be versus maybe things you um, um, had, a, had a more natural affinity to. Um, I, it never occurred to me to go into wrestling because that was during basketball season. And, um, I remember, you know, just growing up, you know, especially coming from Boston, I was a big Larry Bird fan. Um, and there was, you know, NBA television, there was, you know, NBA was on the television, college basketball was on the television and, um, football was on the television. And so it just seemed that oh, well, these are the sports I should be playing. These are the sports that seem of interest to everyone around me. And it just never occurred to me to try wrestling. Even once I got into judo, it never occurred to me like, hey, maybe I should supplement this with some other grappling. Um, yeah, I was playing judo as a kid in this state that is you know, known as one of the, historically one of the best wrestling states, has some of the best um, collegiate you know, Olympic wrestlers ever. And it just never occurred to me to like, maybe check it out to this day when I, I'll, I'll train with really great wrestlers. Um, and, uh, you know, I still do jiu-jitsu to this day and, and my wrestling is still, you know, <laughs> comparatively terrible. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it never occurred to me. I'm, I'm, I don't know why other than just, I had an idea in my head that like football and basketball and baseball are what I need to be doing. That's very cool. I love that. Um, let's, uh, let's clear one more thing up as you kind of mentioned that again, you went to college, you were in Iowa state, um, uh, you were studying a different major since you didn't mention it. I'm not going to bring it up either. It's Jordan's. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know whether it was, you know, some sort of a sword, you know, uh, point or whatever. So I didn't want to press any buttons, but yeah. you were studying journalism and then you sat on it there. You kind of, uh, started doing acting. What made you kind of flip the switch and say, Ooh, this is my thing. I love this and I want to dedicate, uh, you know, more of my time to it. Well, it, you know, it probably starts with why I selected journalism in the first place, which was, you know, um, I went to the college I went to because there were some older guys from my college or from my high school that were at that college that were very excited about me coming to that college. That's probably about as much um, research and reflection I did. Like, oh, you know, I love these guys. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to college with these guys. Um, Again, you know, any sort of uh, life plan, and um, there's a great amount of privilege in being able to do that and saying like, oh, I'm just going to go to college with my friends. And uh, I'm a bit embarrassed by that, um, you know, as I reflect back on it. Uh, but um, I, I knew I wasn't, you know, athletic enough to be, uh, you know, um, elite in any sort of sport. Uh, my grades were fine, but I probably underachieved because I was much more interested. It's funny, I look back and I was much more interested in, in cultural things. I was much more interested in film and television and books than I was in, you know, uh, accomplishing anything scholastically. Um, again, as I look back, as I reflect back, I, all sort of the signals were there of where I should be going. I just ignored them all. Um, and I remember even picking my after I decided like, oh, if these guys want me to come to, to college with them and, and I'll have a, a social group there, um, I should pick a major. Um, again, normally it goes the other way around that you figure out what you want to study and do and select a school that way. Um, and I knew I liked writing um, and journalism seemed to be the closest thing that Iowa State had to any sort of 
writing program. Um, again, journalism is a wildly different thing than creative writing, obviously. It's a wildly different thing than screenwriting or playwriting or, or you know, uh, English literature or, 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 you know, writing novels or anything. So again, uh, you know, my lack of depth and, and reflection was really betraying me. Um, so I decided I'll do that uh, and immediately hated it. Immediately, I liked being a part of the school newspaper. I liked the discussions that happened. Again, I was very interested in culture. I was very interested in ideas. So I was very interested in meeting other people that had different ideas than me or, or in, in many cases could articulate ideas I had, but just much more intelligently, um, with much more, um, gravitas and, 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 and earned, um, perspective on it. Uh, so I knew I liked doing that, but I, I didn't like the, I didn't like the actual journalism part. I didn't like, I liked research, but I didn't like going out and interviewing people. I remember very specifically, very early on, I wound up in a conversation with, um, I think an athlete, and uh, like a, a representative of the, of the government of student body, we're talking about some sort of campus issue. And I remember I was friendly with them, not like best friends, but friend, you know, friendly enough where we'd say hi and wind up in a conversation at the bar together. And I remember um, one of them turned to me at one point and very, not with any sort of intention, just sort of um, flippant, just said, hey, and don't quote me on this. And then went, continued his conversation. And I remember a light bulb went off of me going, oh, um, Anybody who knows me on a personal level knows that sort of like trust and loyalty are, are um, uh, attributes that I, I value. Um, and I remember it just sort of struck me. I was like, oh, I don't want to go through the rest of my life with people worrying about whether they can entrust me with, with information or how they feel, their perspective. And so for all those reasons, I didn't. And there's probably also material reason is I realized like if I follow this career, I'm going to wind up in a small town working for a small newspaper covering I remember covering like a city governance issue and being bored to tears by it and just being like I'm these bus routes seem very important to all of you and, and I'm sure they are the community but I just yeah. it's of no interest to me um and even at that time I had a romanticized idea of going to New York and so the idea of winding up in like you know uh, a small town you know covering city ordinances um uh, just seemed terrifying to me and I remember then I did a semester of like doing the electives and just partying. Um, and uh, I was going to leave school. I, I was, you know, consider, I don't know how seriously I was considering, but it's something I kept talking about. And one of my buddies um, just said, you should go join the acting program because you're so damn dramatic. Um, sort of making fun of me about it, you know, because I think he had a sense. I didn't have any real intention of leaving school. Mm. Um, I just didn't have any sense of what I wanted to do. Um, but I remember him saying that and me just going, yeah, yeah, I should do that. I have no idea why. Um, and so I went, I found, um, the head, the head of the acting program, uh, at the college. And I was actually terrified to meet him because, um, there was a class on campus called theater 106 that was, um, infamous or celebrated as the easiest course on campus for any major, right? And it was literally uh, arts appreciation. And literally all you had to do was go to stuff. Like you could go see like a play, you could go see a band, you could go see a, uh, a, a symphony, right? And you'd come back and you'd write like a paragraph review on it. Basically you just had to like, it was basically like an attendance report. Like I, yeah 
participated. I showed up and I failed that class because that was that was the that was the the semester where I was, you know, really struggling in terms of what I was doing, wasn't going to classes. And, um, and so I wanted not going to anything. And so I was terrified um, that this guy would recognize me. By the way, it's a class that like I think like a thousand people every semester take, right? So the idea that like this one guy would like remember me from two semesters ago and be like, you <laughs> um is, you know, I was, I was clearly overvaluing my and overestimating my my importance and significance in, in scholastic life there. Um uh but I was very nervous because of that, that that he would recognize me and not want me to be a part of the program right there. Um but I was clearly making too big a deal out of it. I showed up, said, I've never done this, but I, I think I'd like to try it. And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, again, you can just enroll in those classes. So I don't, I'm sure from his perspective, he was perplexed why I felt like I needed to come down and have a conversation with him about whether this was the right move. Because, um, you know, most people who, who particularly at Iowa State, you know, I, I, there are other undergraduate programs and uh, places you can go, if, I think, if you're serious about having an acting career. And we had wonderful facilities at Iowa State, um, but it's primarily a, you know, uh, an agricultural and science and technology school. Um, and so we had these wonderful facilities. And I think for, you know, for the for the attributes the school had, it was a wonderful place to be. But it's, you know, it's not like I was, <laughs> you know, trying to not like I was trying to get into Juilliard or something. He was like, yeah, take my basic acting class here in the middle of Iowa. Um, and so I, I, I took that course and I remember I, I didn't understand anything. Again, all my references were movies, right? I'd seen maybe two plays in my life. But I remember our first assignment was go find a monologue to do. And all these other kids had you know, grown up doing theater, right? So you could bring in like 16 bars of a song. I didn't know what 16 bars were. Um, I didn't know any musicals. Uh, uh, you could get a monologue from um, <laughs> bless you. Uh, you could get a monologue from any play. It could be a, a soliloquy from Shakespeare. I didn't know what a soliloquy was. Um, I hadn't read a play before. And so I remember, I think the monologue I brought in was... <laughs> That's the second one. It usually comes into his... Go on, sorry. Um, Totally okay. It's fine. Um, so I think the monologue I, I brought in, in fact, I know this now that I remember this, I brought in Tom Berenger's monologue from Platoon. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, um, is a monologue for film and TV, but again, other people were bringing in page and a half monologues from, you know, Wendy Wasserstein and David Mamet and Shakespeare and Craig Lucas and, uh, you know, uh, uh, all these other, you know, great playwrights, and and I had no idea what I was doing, but I remember getting done, and it was the first time I didn't know what I was doing, but I also remember I feel like it was the first time that it felt like where I should have been. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this yet, but this feels like what I should be doing. As I look back on it again, I don't know if I had any skills. I wasn't particularly athletic, although I wanted to be. Um, I wasn't particularly studious. Um, I, I don't know if I have any sort of great natural intelligence. Um, at the time, I wasn't particularly disciplined. But I remember standing there going, I remember feeling strongly about a lot of things, which is, you know, not a, um, I think, um, uh, an attribute that's unique to me. But I remember getting done and feeling like, you mean I just get to, like, express how I feel about stuff? 
that's what this is okay well that i can do that that felt that felt um uh i think it also felt freeing to me you know i think the other idea about an occupation finding an occupation again in this country is so utilitarian like you've got to identify an occupation which you can earn a sensible living and go do that right um and uh i remember again i was so influenced by movies um i remember always watching a movie and wanting to have the occupation of the person in the movie that I was watching. I'd watch Angel Heart. And I'd want to be a detective, right? I'd watch A Few Good Men, and I'd want to be a naval lawyer, right? I'd watch, you know, I'd watch Unforgiven and want to be a cowboy, right? Yeah. Um, and most of these were not real occupations that were <laughs> realistic for me at 18 years old to go pursue. Um, but and so it never occurred to me that like, oh, well, maybe rather than trying to be the naval lawyer or the cowboy or the detective in 1955 Harlem, you could do what the guy on the screen is doing. You could go be an actor. I don't know why that had never occurred to me before, um, but that was that was the first time that it felt like it, it, I felt that I was in a, um, I was gonna say home, which sounds so corny, but it felt like the first time I was in my element. Yeah, it, so it I, makes, I, it it makes a lot of sense. Um, I again, same thing for me uh, in terms of I know I cannot be a lawyer and a doctor and all of these things, but I can play them and I can feel a little bit of what it's like. Yeah. And you know, David uh, David Constable, you know, Uncle Wagsy on on Billions, who you get to play with, you know, he was a journalist uh, on The Wire, so you know, he got to experience uh, that. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I think that was it. There was the idea of like I liked research, so and I liked researching so many different things. You know, there's the 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 Kerouac quote about like I like too many things. I like too many things. I get distracted from one thing and move on from one thing to another. I, you know, probably every you know 17 year old white kid falls in love with Kerouac for a moment, but um, uh, that resonated in terms of like why I don't want to be a journalist. I knew that, but I'm like I would like to, but I would like to be a journalist for a while, <laughs> right? I I, I uh, I, I don't want to go to law school, but I could. I'd like to be a a, a lawyer for an attorney for a while, yeah. and that appealed to me. And I don't know if uh, if uh, you, your father was a police officer, but I don't know if he ever wanted you to be a cop. Hey, you get to play a detective. You get to play a secret service agent. You get to play yeah. all sorts of uh, you know well, law enforcement guys. I think. So. Um, yeah, I, I think my. Uh, I think when it's very young, you know you. You know, when you're very young, you emulate your father for a while. Um, yeah. I did, and, and my father's one of the best men I know. So um, uh, emulating him is not a poor choice. Um, but I, I also figured out very quickly I didn't want to be a police officer. And uh, my father transitioned into to coaching football. So um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure after a certain period how much he wanted to be a police officer either. Um, but yeah, the idea yeah. of I think there's things I picked up from my father that gave me a natural affinity for certain genres and certain types of characters. And I think anything in sort of um, that law enforcement procedural area is probably one of them. Yeah, oh, it's, it's it's cool. And again, you know, you uh, we, in acting we talk about types, and there there's certainly a type, and uh, you you definitely have a chance uh, to play within that type. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's get back to New York for a second before we get to LA. Um, you did a lot of theater, and uh, you know, for for a kid who grew up not seeing any plays, you've certainly uh, amended that, and you've done uh, quite a bit, and you've done a ton of Shakespeare. Um, yeah. 
what what was that experience like again being in the actor studio and then doing a lot of theater doing a lot of shakespeare and really kind of diving into the world um you know everything serves you in some way i you know i wish i i wish i'd studied more film and tv because that that was ideally you know ultimately what i really wanted to do but i also I'm very grateful for for all the theater I did, um, and I love Shakespeare, and I love really great theater. And I sort of had this, you know, one of my heroes was was Philip Seymour Hoffman, God rest his soul. And I, and you know, another one was was Billy Crudup. And so I sort of had this idea of like, oh, well, they came from the theater, and um, I'll go do a bunch of theater, and you know, the idealized version of whatever. I don't even know at what point I started thinking about a career. Um, Again, all everything was very reactive. Uh, but I, I had this idea that like the the idealized version of what I wanted to do was to do what Philip Seymour Hoffman and Billy Crudup were doing. That required um, being competent at stagecraft. And um, you, you know, but also I think you know because of the way the economics work and and the way I had pursued to what extent I could, way I had pursued my training, um, that was also what was available to me. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, uh, I'm lucky. I did a lot of Shakespeare. I think before I really understood Shakespeare. Um, I think the the one benefit it gave me was I, you know, I had teachers early on that embraced embraced my embracement of it, that my interest of it. So I never, for better and for worse, I there was never any sort of fear or or reluctance instilled in me about about Shakespeare, um, you know, and so for for better, that meant that I, you know, found ways to personally connect with it in a, temp in a contemporary way. You know, for worse, like I really didn't have, it took me a long time before I really even had any interest in, you know, iambic pentameter or, you know, scanning or, you know, prose versus verse um, or, any, or any of any of those things. Um, I came to this much later once I realized that, you know, Again, maybe just feeling things strongly and identifying with a character wasn't going to be sufficient, um, uh, particularly when you're dealing with something like Shakespeare. But at the time, it uh, I didn't have any fear about diving into it. Um, and I, you know, I look back at at all all the theater I did, and um, I. I'm really grateful for for some of the opportunities I got, and I, I look back on it and again realize how little training I had, and how fortunate I, enough I was to be doing it. You know, um, uh, I'm gonna do some really cool stuff. That um, I got to do some really cool stuff that that uh, made me feel again like. I was part of a community and doing something that was intimately important. I've never wanted to do anything like, you know, um, all my ambitions, I think on some level have always been on some sort of like intimate interpersonal level. Um, and I, I think about that, even like the type of work that I, I do, I, I respond more to intimate stories than I do to sweeping epics. I think there's a, you know, and so um, I think a lot of there's something about being able to go again when you're in New York, right? I mean, like unless you're on Broadway or, or some of the, you know, the the 
you know, great off-Broadway theaters, you, you wind up doing like a show for like 40 people, right? Sometimes four people, um, you know, and most of us have done that show. We were like, this is not what I anticipated. Walk, you know, rehearsing for three weeks and walking out to two of my friends, um, you know, that most of us have had a show like that. Um, but I think what I did value in those experiences was there's a, there's an intimacy to that, that felt very, you know, theaters like snow, you know, in that, if you're there and you, on that night for that, you know, for that performance and you get to see it, it's really kind of magical. And then at some point it falls on the ground and gets muddy or, you know, it melts away. And so I was very aware doing theater that um, there was something about, there was something intimate about it and there was something communal about it that um, I felt fortunate to do even when, you know, nobody showed up. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it prepared you, you know, really well for uh, for the screen because screen is all about intimacy and uh, all about that connection. So in a way, it uh, it you know it uh, it helped, I'm sure. Um, I hope so. Some days I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some days you just want people to show up. I get it. Um, let's let's talk about one uh, one cool side hustle that uh, that you did while you were in New York, and then we'll get to LA. So uh, while you were in New York, while you were acting, you were a personal uh, trainer on yeah. uh, Soderbergh's uh, films, and you got to work with uh, with a bunch of cool actors. How you know that's that's a great side gig. Yes and no. I'm really careful about this. I'm very grateful um, that I got to do it. Uh, I met a lot of amazing people there. Um, it allowed me to survive in New York, which you know. It, is a really tough town. And again, I think a lot of my ideas about acting were, were antiquated by the time I, I, I arrived in New York, you know, so I arrived in New York at the turn of the century. And, but I think a lot of my ideas about New York were, you know, coming from experiences from, from, you know, people who had come up in like the sixties and seventies. And obviously, you know, three decades later, New York's a different place. And I don't think I had anticipated how difficult it was going to be to survive financially in New York. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, primarily because I, I mean, on my end, it was, uh, I had anticipated because I just hadn't done my work and my research, but also like Los Angeles, you know, um, is primarily an entertainment town. So mm -hmm. community supports, you know, your pursuits in entertainment. So there's always a pocket you can find, um, a neighborhood where like artists can live, right? There's support jobs for that. There's survival jobs for that. There's, there's a, there's a network of support um, that's intrinsic to the LA experience to support, excuse me, that support people that are trying to, um, you know, make it in the entertainment industry. New York has that, but it's tertiary, right? It's primarily a, a finance town and then it's probably a media town. And then it's probably either a political or fashion town, right? And entertainment's there, but entertainment's really like fourth or fifth. And I, so when I, I stumbled into to personal training, um, uh, you know, I, the thing about the personal training that both saved me, but was also a hindrance was I spent a lot of time in New York, really broke, really struggling. Um, as a lot of people do. Um, and I remember, you know, with personal training, I remember the first time I sold 
like a high-end package to somebody and when I got the money it was the most money I'd ever gotten for anything and you know when you're when you're broke and you're starving and I you know been homeless briefly and you you know your lights get shut off and you don't have any food to eat and makes it hard to you know do anything when you get a sum of money like that um it it's incredibly seductive. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't know. Allergies are going on. It's okay. Yeah. Um, when you get a sum of, sum of money like that after strand, you're struggling economically and materially for so long, it's very seductive. And it just, again, so much of my my early upbringing was so reactive, and um, so it felt on on a material level, it felt like, oh, I can support myself now. Um, and so that becomes a distraction, right? Um, and I wound up working a lot at the gym, um, which, um, again, I'm grateful for. It's what allowed me to survive in New York, but it also distracted from my actor training. It act distracted from my pursuit. Um, there's a lot of nights, like I would work all day at the gym and I was, remember the gym is in Manhattan and I lived in Queens at the time. So I would oftentimes sleep at the gym, right? I'd get done with the last session at nine or 10 at night and then fall asleep in the massage table and wake up for my first session at five or 5.30, whatever. Um, so it it took away from my actor training, it took away from my actor pursuit, it took away from my career development. Um, and it was also seductive, I think, in that, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, acting's a tough gig, right? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments where you prepare and you prepare and you prepare and you go on an audition and you really, you know, I, I know when I audition for something for the, the 24 hours for the, if I'm lucky, the 72 hours that I have that material, that's my life. That's my life. I, I, I figured out now that everything else goes away while I work on that material. You go in the room, you do your best work and, um, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why you will or won't get something and most of them are out of your control and at some point you have to accept that. But there's moments, obviously, then where you're not getting parts, your career isn't moving forward in the way you'd like. It feel very lonely. And um, particularly in a city like New York, um, you can you can start to feel small and unimportant really quickly. And so with the personal training, it seemed like not only not only was it a great sidekick, not only did I meet wonderful people, not only was I going to be able to be healthy and earn a living, but it also felt like a place where I could immediately become important. Yeah, and I think that's seductive because as wonderful as all those, um, as all those the, those gifts it gave me were, it also took me away from the thing that I really wanted to do. Um, that being said, yeah, I don't get to do girlfriend experience. I think if um, uh, if I hadn't met Stephen, I have some questions about how I wound up in that movie. I've heard very, um, uh, I've heard differing. I didn't have to audition for it, um, but I've heard varying stories of how I was invited to be a part of it. In any case, I'm, I'm, I was incredibly grateful uh, and I was incredibly lucky to be a part of it. Um, but, you know, I, Stephen obviously was the director of it. Um, and I, you know, he and I had worked together briefly um, um, uh, on a personal training capacity. And uh, the male lead of the movie, Chris uh, Santos, is to this day, a dear friend of mine, Chris actually saved me New York. Chris and I started out as personal trainers together. Um, Chris, um, 
Chris was the one who I was probably gonna get fired as a personal trainer. Um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, as tough a job as it was, wasn't as tough a job as, as uh, acting, but getting started was in the way most careers are. You know, I think maybe that's just a, another thing in terms of grit I hadn't yet, you know, just ingested was this idea that like starting any career is probably pretty rough and requires, um, you're gonna run into resistance that you don't anticipate. But Chris kind of, not kind of, several times literally saved me, would pull me aside and say, um, uh, you know, you need to do this and this, this is how you're gonna survive here. Um, and it was a very competitive place. And uh, so he he really saved me um, and allowed me to, to stay in New York. So um, when he was cast in the movie, um, I was incredibly happy for him. And so getting to do a scene with him just felt, um, uh, there was a, I remember there was a moment when we were filming that and we're, we're in the, the bar on the Lower East Side and uh, we got to improv the scene. Um, Steven's a genius. I, I can't overstate. I think most people know that, but I, I think in, and I got to work with him like one day on set, but the level of um, command he has over his skills and his vision for what he wants to do is so complete and so total um, that uh, there's just a level of competence isn't even the word. There's just a level of of, of command of a room when uh, that I felt that day um, that felt very um, supportive and felt very safe and felt very. I just remember feeling like after all the years of struggle in New York and. I'm doing a movie. I'm doing Stevens. I'm in a Stevens. I'm not doing a Steven Soderbergh movie. I'm yeah. in a Steven Soderbergh movie. We're shooting the Lower East Side when all I ever wanted to be was an actor in New York. Um, I'm doing this scene with one of my best friends, and we get to improv it, uh, uh, which coming from the actor studio was something you know you hear all the legends of. Not only are you training, you know, uh, uh, in an improvisatory manner often, but like all the the legends you hear of, of what this actor did that was improvisatory and what this actor did that you know made the, the that character made that you know and you get to do that um it felt very special and i was very lucky to be a part of that um it was a mild albatross i think to being in that movie um mm -hmm. which was you know the 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 marketing of that movie was that steven i think it was the second project where he was using non-actors right so you know Chris had um, acted when he was young and was interested in, in returning to acting. And, and Chris is an actor to this day. Um, mm -hmm. And I had trained as an actor. Um, this was one of the other things that personal training was, um, uh, you know, both a gift and an albatross to me. Was I because I, while I was personal training, because I was aware that I wasn't pursuing acting as um, diligently as I need to. You know, in terms that I think it's the Julia Cameron. A book about the artist where I think I'd become a shadow artist. I was very interested in, in theater. I was very interested in films. I had opinions about them. Occasionally, I would, you know, go to the actor's studio still, but there was like a two, three year period where I wasn't pursuing it the way I had when I'd first come to New York. Um, and so I was very aware of that. And one of the other cool things about being a personal trainer was uh, at the gym we were at, I got to meet a lot of fancy people. Um, and I got to meet a lot of people that were doing the thing I wanted to do. And I was very aware of, not even aware of, I think in my head, I invented this idea of a caste system. I knew I didn't want to bother them at all about their career pursuits. Um, yeah. 
And so I sort of set up in my head that I wouldn't address those things ever with them. And so I wouldn't discuss them uh, with them at all. And so it became a secret to most people at the gym that I even was an actor. Um, to the point where I remember doing a play in 05 of Cowboy versus Samurai. Um, we did it at the Rattlesick Theater in New York. Um, it's a wonderful play by Michael Galamko, uh, my friend who had gone to the actor studio drama school, Lloyd Suh. It's a wonderful, wonderful playwright, um, directed it. And it was me and uh, Joel De La Fuente, uh, C.S. Lee, and Hannah Moon. And Joel is just one of the, everybody in that cast was lovely, but Joel is one of the kindest, best, most accomplished actors. And uh, I learned a lot about how to behave uh, in a rehearsal room and on set and professionally from Joel. Um, and that was a, a wonderful experience doing that play. But what I remember um, most about it in terms of the personal training was Joel had gone to NYU and was uh, friendly. Uh, I don't know the extent of their relationship. Was friendly with Billy Crudup because Billy Crudup had also gone to school there. And Billy Crudup was one of my heroes. Um, Billy was also personal training with the owner of our gym. And so I, again, I had kept it a secret that I was acting at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I remember coming to the gym one day and Billy was there. And unbeknownst to me, Billy had come and seen the play that weekend. Oh. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, you're, you were in Joel's play, right? And there's other personal trainers around there who I've kept this a secret from him. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you were really good, man. And I was like, uh, thanks, man. Thanks. I got to go uh, train this guy now. And I ran away. And, and you know, I reflect back, you know, I, again, I'm so lucky that I got to personal train. It's what allowed me to survive in the city. Yeah. Um, it's how I met so many wonderful people. But there was a moment of one of my heroes. Again, we talk about like theater and, you know, the intimacy. Right. And the, the communal connection that you get from theater, because um, the rattlestick isn't a huge house. It's a wonderful house, but it's not a big house. And this guy who since I started acting, I'm like, oh, I want to be like that guy. This guy came up to me and said, hey, man, good job. And. I was as polite as I could be to him while still escaping. And, uh, I, you know, I look back on that and I, I find that unfortunate that I wasn't able to enjoy that. I really take that compliment at the time. So the personal training was wonderful, but I, and, and gave me a lot of gifts and you can't change your path. Um, but I do also know it, it, it required, um, a sacrifice of a part of me that, um, that I wish I hadn't. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, I, it's really important for people to hear and so many levels. Uh, I really appreciate. It. Let's talk about um, let's talk about LA, right? You moved to LA, and again, you're you're very introspective, and you're all about the reality of what is happening, which I really appreciate. Um, I probably the, use some more introspection, but thank you for that. <laughs> I want more introspection, so please, please keep it coming because the the point of the show is is not just so i can get a chance to talk to the people who i admire the point of the show is to um let the audience in and kind of peel back the curtain and let them know what is actually happening and what is our business really like from the inside from the people who are you know you see them on television or you see them on uh, on the big screen you know how did they get here and what is it really like you know 
is this is this a career that is an easy one or is this a really difficult one where almost nobody makes it people don't understand the intricacies of it because they see the lights the glitter and the you know the fame and this is what i wanted to do i wanted to talk and get real conversations going so this is perfect please continue don't hold anything back very sweet um, okay so again in doing my prep uh, kind of the uh, on you the some things stood out to me and one thing in particular was like oh, oh it hurt me personally just reading that about you and i want to ask you about it because this is the reality of what you know what the acting life is like and uh i think i read that your first audition was for terminator 3 the rise of the machines uh you know it went to nick uh who you know did a great job but i get it right we audition for things we don't get them we move on the one that really hurt me was glee uh you got the part of mr anderson you were you know uh i think in that uh, season three episode 15 i think that was the one uh you got it and then i'm gonna stop you on this one um okay we should talk about this uh because i don't know why i didn't do that glee episode i've never been able to get that off my rip it, it got well it's on your on your imdb and we can cut this out if you want but on your on your imdb it says uh the episode it says mr anderson and says scenes deleted and then i saw Matt bomber you know obviously i saw Matt bomber i was a huge bleak so i'm like what the heck happened there I've, I, I have never auditioned for Glee. <laughs> I, wow. I feel bad. I, 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 no, it's okay. I, no, it's fine. This, this comes up a lot, right? When people ask me, how is it working on Glee? And I'm like, I have no idea. Okay. I don't know how it wound up on, on my IMDb. I have years ago, because it's a credit from like, what, 2012, 2013 or something? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I like wrote to IMDb twice, be like, hey, man, this isn't my credit. So like, I don't know who this goes to. Um, uh, I didn't even know the scenes were deleted, but like clearly, and the reason I didn't know that was because I didn't ever yeah, pursue the footage because like I don't have it because I didn't do it. So every once in a while, I'll get a question about it, like how is it working on Glee, and I'm like I don't know. You tell me when when you when, um. So it's the I, I don't I don't know what happened with Glee. The the Terminator thing, um, yeah. that was that was in New York, and I got that audition and again listen i'm sure they were just looking for people and there's also times i think you you need to know and i don't think i knew this at the time because i was so inexperienced and didn't just understand the business hadn't done the research on what the business was like i also don't know if they were just like seeing people just to see new actors because they were seeing a lot of young actors at that time um i, I can't i mean i could have been wrong you know there's certainly been miracle lottery cases of this happen i just in retrospect i have a really hard time at that point i had done like a bunch of theater and and most of it not even like you know again not ob award-winning stuff or you know tony award-winning stuff or i wasn't real sick you know it's important to me but you know not significant audiences had seen it and i don't think i had a real reputation or anything so in retrospect uh this idea that like I was going to go in and like book Terminator 3 as like my first film and TV audition is is um uh, yeah you know it, it, maybe it could have been possible it didn't happen um but I remember uh, I got that audition because one of my acting teachers um had set it up for me she was very kind to be like hey they're seeing people and I'm going to get you in for this which I thought was very sweet of her and I'm very her name is Susan Ashton who is an, an angel 
Um, uh, but I, I had never, I'd never taken an audition class. I had never done any work in film and TV. The Actors Studio Drama School didn't do any film and TV um, training. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember at, somebody asking one of our teachers about that at one time uh, at, at the drama school, like, why don't, why don't we ever do anything on camera? And the response was, because our work is so intimate, it translates directly into film and TV. Uh, there's no difference between what we do on stage and what we do in film and TV. And that, uh, that is, I, I, to put it blunt, that's just wrong, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a different style of acting required, not only for stage, but the difference between a 50 person, you know, 100 person house and, you know, a thousand person house. There's a different type of acting required via, you know, genre, whether you're doing a multicam versus a one hour drama versus, uh, a feature film and so I didn't know any of that stuff I'd never taken an audition class um, because again I think so much of our training up to that point um, discouraged any sort of anything that even smelled of the anything that was an instinctive impulse was sort of discouraged um, sometimes that included even reading the script um, so you could, <laughs> again I look back on that and uh, you know okay. uh, you, you know, you look back at, at, you know, your auditions for film and television and you're like so much of your training discouraged being, you know, to be kind, it was about finding what was underneath the text, right? Which also at a certain point, like everybody does that, but it also, it, it uh, I think the way I interpreted it, I won't place that blame on anyone else, but I think I, the way I interpreted a lot of my training from the studio was that what, what I could bring. I became less interested in what the writer specifically was um, uh, presenting and giving me that it was um, perhaps a suggestion, <laughs> right? The script is perhaps a suggestion, um, uh, which I think has um, led to a lot of mistakes, including in, um, I think that Terminator 3 audition. I remember I read the breakdown. I had grown up loving Terminator and it said something that he was haunted by the future that he knew. Um, and uh, uh, had all these very sort of dark, gloomy, um, apocalyptic, um, existentially traumatic, you know, um, thoughts mm -hmm. attached to the John Connor camera, uh, character. So I, I stayed up for like, I did the Dustin Hoffman and Marathon Man thing. I stayed up like two or three days. I didn't bathe. I came into the audition and again, my first time in this office, you know, I didn't really even understand how like casting worked. I didn't understand, um, I most basic um, rudimentary understanding of what was happening. So I came in and in character and I'm, um, I don't remember who the casting office was. I should probably look it up and apologize. Um, and I did the scene. I don't remember how much of the text I even did. I believe there, there was a monologue involved in it, but I was, um, I, I reflect, I remember leaving feeling like I did a really good job because I felt like John Connor. I felt, you know, um, but, you know, as I look back on it, I have no idea if I served the material. I have no idea if I presented to um, casting that I was somebody that you'd want on your set, you know, that you could trust. Um, I don't know if I did any of those things. So, uh, yeah, I look back at some of those early auditions and um, there was a lot of, again, there was a lot of desire and um, uh, less craft at that time than I would have liked. Thank you. No, it's uh, all important lessons. Yeah. Does does the studio 
uh, have they switched? Are they doing any more uh, film and TV? Do you know, or it's still somewhere? I don't know how the program runs anymore. I also know the program bifurcated, right? And there's a there's a new school studio program that a lot of the actor studio teachers teach. I hope I'm getting this right. Um, and then there's a uh, an actor studio at Pace, I believe. I believe there's two programs now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not sure how either of those programs run. I hope they're doing more film and television. Um, I think if, you know, I've said this before, but, uh, you know, going to graduate school is expensive. You know, going to undergraduate school is expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have any qualms about saying this. My faults and my mistakes are my own, and I own them. But I, I do think it's near criminal to invite people to come to your program that charges them tens of thousands of dollars um, per year, right? Um, and that can put people into debt where they're taking out loans. And this is a larger problem, I think, of our entire <laughs> the American academic educational system, but I certainly think um, our theater programs uh, aren't without fault. Uh, I think to charge people tens of thousands of dollars per year so that their you know, their personal debt can run into the high five figures, sometimes even six figures, mm-hmm. for a career in which 94% of us are, out of, are unemployed at any one particular time, um, where very few actors are even, you know, the union actors um, who are working um, are able to, you know, reach the, the median income level in America, right? Um, knowing what, you know, again, I love theater, but knowing what it pays and knowing what the co- the average cost of an apartment in New York is, knowing what the average cost of an apartment in Los Angeles is, it's near criminal to yeah. tell those actors to not train them in film and television while charging them an exorbitant amount of money and telling them you will be fine um, and that your skills will translate across genres, across mediums. It's it's near criminal. Um, so I hope they've changed. I hope they've changed. I hope so, I too. Wish, I wish it's something that I had recognized and realized. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. And, you know, no audition class. Seriously, I, it's. I've, I've never gone to a, uh, you know, a theater program. I came here as a kid. My parents said, there's no way you're doing this. Uh, they didn't want me to be an actor. They still don't. Hi, parents. Right. Um, <laughs> so they, you know, I never kind of uh, got that uh, shot. So all of my acting training has come from acting schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to this acting school, you pick up this method, you pick up this method, you go to the audition class, you go to a workshop. So this is how I learn about it. So to me, I don't even understand how an acting program uh, does not offer those aspects. I, I don't get it, but that's that's a whole separate conversation. That you know. I, I can't speak for what they do at other programs. I just know with with our you know our influence coming from the actors studio. I also know there's something very um, there's something built into the type of of actor who's attracted to the actors studio, such as myself. Yeah. And there's something mm-hmm. into the, the people who who you know traffic in in that type of training in which there's something untoward uh this is a perception not reality but there's something untoward about anything uh that feels uh ambitious about having a career right that there's that 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 it's really focused on the art and the internal experience of the actor um and the craft and i think all those things are obviously important but i 
and again, this is maybe the way I interpret it. Other people may have wildly different um, experiences. I mean, obviously, Bradley and I went to the same program, and he did. <laughs> he's doing just fine on, on both a craft and material level. He's you know having a, a career that anyone would envy. Um, but I, I, I just remember feeling that uh, it was just something in the environment that sort of any ambition towards, well, how do I get a job? How do I get an agent? How do I... Um, impress casting directors and create relationships with them? How do I function on a set so that the showrunner trusts me and uh, that I can be of value? How do I understand the difference between being you know, a, a, a co-star on an episode versus a series regular versus a guest star? What's my, you know, um, how do I traffic in, these, in, in those um, different uh, environments and in those different scenarios? None of those things were addressed and if they were addressed it was usually dismissed with the idea that like acting is acting and truthful acting will always win out and i i don't blame a lot of you know educators for that because i feel like they're they're just teaching what they were taught and um unfortunately that just comes from a very antiquated mid-20th century idea of what acting mm -hmm. is i always make this joke there's a there's an uh actor's studio member uh, who's an oscar winner who is um much older than me, um, and I, I remember I upset them one day. They, they were, we were talking about something, and uh, they had come up literally with like with Paul Newman and James Dean and all these people. So you can see, imagine how old they were. And he, uh, and, and it, it's not even really about their age, but how they came up in a different time. And I remember him saying at one point, he's like, you know, I, I remember deciding I wanted to be an actor, so I walked down Fifth Avenue, and I knew the the agency was on the, the whatever floor on this building, and, the, and on Fifth Avenue, and I took the elevator up to the 10th floor, or whatever, and I walked into the room and I told them I wanted to be an actor, and I was on Neighborhood Playhouse TV the next week. And I sat there for a second and I went, it still works just like that, man. <laughs> and I think that upset him, but you know, I, they're just coming from a different place where the, yeah. not only the, the craft, the art, but you know, definitely the business is just, it's just different. And I, rather than seeking out I wish more people would have sought out um, uh, instructors who could have helped us with the business end, um, uh, and not not merely just you know the business end of like how you get an agent and uh, how you market yourself and all those things that you know you, you know mm. beginning actors are, are really really need to, to to codify for themselves, but also just you know um, you know disabusing us of this notion that like. Truthful acting is the only thing you need to worry about. Genre, circumstance, professional setting, all these things are just, you know, weren't considered important. I wish they would have been. And here's what I found, and a lot of people are going to be mad at me uh, for saying this, and I'm not going to name anybody, but uh, just, just so people understand. What I have found in this, uh, in this industry, and again, you've been at it a lot longer and uh, to a much uh, greater level of success than I have, but what I have found is that there are a lot of people who are wonderful at making money off of you. And they will tell you that it's all about the community and you're a part of this community and they love you and they will always support you. And that's crap because they're there to share experience and a lot of it is very valuable and it's gonna come uh, and, and be useful to you. But it's not community. Nobody gives a shit about you, really. You know, some places I'm sure do. The people you meet in those communities are the people who you likely are going to be friends with for a long time 
and you build that and that's your community that cares about you the places that offer that knowledge give me a break okay I, i've i've been so disappointed in the disingenuousness of you know the places it's just whatever well, so the, um, i yeah. hear you i think you know my my experience of of that i, I hear what you're saying I, I feel i'm really sorry for that i i feel like very I've, you know, some of the places I've trained, I've, I have experienced a, a great sense of community and, and fellowship. But what, what I also have experienced is that most of the time, when you're talking community and fellowship uh, in an acting class or an acting community, that's that is important, right? You know, your peers who respect you could potentially, you know, can write a play with you and rehearse a play with you or or know a guy who can get you in for an audition or know the casting director who can, you know, can get you a meeting. Like that is incredibly valuable. But I, I think very often when people are, are discussing that with their in, in the, the context of an acting class or, or, or whatnot, is they're alleviating themselves of the actual mission statement, which is I came to acting class or I came to acting school because I want to be a working professional at this. And so when we start saying, well, you know, let's not worry about the working professional part. Let's worry about the community um, because community is important and of value. Um, we can, again, get distracted and seduced by this idea of, yes, yes, we, we lose sight of the mission statement, which is, you know, why are you working professional in, in this. I would like to understand how to conduct myself in a casting office. I would like to be a great craftsman, be a great artist, but I also would like to know how to conduct myself in this business so that I can, first job of any artist is to eat, right? It's really hard to, it's really hard to do your best work if, you know, the lights are off and no steaks in the freezer. So I, I think often, I probably, I, I appreciate the word you use is disingenuous, right? Because it feels like it's not that community is unimportant, it is. It's not that fellowship and camaraderie um, is uh, unimportant. I, I, I'm lucky I have uh, experienced that um, in, in, in my professional life and in, and in my academic life. Um, but it's disingenuous because very often people are using it to distract from the mission statement. It doesn't yeah. help. It, it leaves them the responsibility of preparing the student to go out and be a working professional. Yeah, or, or supporting them uh, after you're done with the class and you're no longer paying them for another class. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, that leads to another thing is that, you know, I, I'm very, uh, I'm, consider the source, right? I'm very, I, I think about that a lot. I'm very, um, uh, I love talking about acting. I love talking about the business. I love talking about writing. I'll talk with anybody about that. You know, I'm very enthusiastic about it. I'll share whatever I know. But in terms of uh, taking advice or counsel, I'm very um, selective about that in, in that I tend to listen to the people who are working. I tend to listen to the people who are doing the thing that I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I think that's an important thing I think for any young working artist to remember is that if you know uh, if if there's certain teachers as much as I respect them and love them um, I knew I had to leave because there's points where oh you haven't you don't have experience with auditioning for a decade or so you don't have you haven't been on a set for, for a long time so 
your perspective is is antiquated and um i need to go listen to somebody who who's working now i need to go listen to somebody who's doing the thing i want to do yeah.